I'm turning today to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6 and verse 14. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 14. And King Herod heard of him, of Christ, for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. And our subject is natural or spiritual convictions. People may experience either. Natural convictions, a great pressure on the conscience, great concern about eternal life, concern for spiritual things. But sadly, these may turn out to be entirely natural fears and feelings, and they will in the course of time die and disappear. Or it may be that they are convictions that turn out to be spiritual convictions, and the Spirit of God is at work, and there is a real concern about standing before God and about readiness and about hear the message of salvation, the preaching of the gospel, and there is a deep longing and hungering and thirsting after salvation and for Christ. And we speak of spiritual convictions and the call of Christ is heard and the person will bow the knee and come to him in repentance and faith and be surely converted and changed by the power of God. That's our subject, spiritual or natural convictions. Now we read here in verse 14 of Mark 6 of King Herod, Herod the Tetrarch, ruler over Galilee and Perea on behalf of Caesar, the Roman, part of the Roman Empire, and King Herod heard of him. Of him is an italic, it isn't in the original Greek. Our King James translators are supplying these words to make good grammar and be helpful. But uh, uh, the word is better as it stands. And King Herod heard. Heard of him turns out to be a little misleading because he would by now have known all about Christ. He was the Tetrarch. Christ was preaching and great crowds were attending him in his very area, in Galilee, the part of the area over which Herod, this is Herod Antipas, one of the four sons of Herod the Great, so-called, and he would have known all about Christ. What King Herod heard was of his many miracles and of the substance of his message and his preaching. At first, when he heard of Christ, he probably paid little attention. And then he paid a little more when he heard of the great crowds. Could this be some 
the manifestation of extreme nationalism? Was there going to be a rebellion, an insurrection? That would always be the, uh, in the mind of a tetrarch ruling on behalf of Rome. But then when he heard of the miracles and how many there were and how remarkable they were and how sudden, how powerful and how the people were reacting, well then he began to think much more deeply and become more concerned to find out. King Herod heard of him for his name and his works particularly were spread abroad. And his reaction, well, it's uh, uh, somehow summarized here by Mark. He said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead. When you read uh, Matthew and Luke, you have just, although Mark's is the longest account of this episode, you read a little more information about how Herod came to hear. Because what happened in verse 15 happened next. Uh, others, people said that this is Elijah risen from the dead. Others said it is a prophet, a great prophet who's come. For 400 years, the Jews hadn't had a wonder-working prophet. Or one of the old prophets who was risen again. And some said, according to Luke, it's John the Baptist risen. And Herod Antipas chose the last explanation. Yes, it must be John the Baptist, risen from the dead. That was the one that he selected out of the different explanations that were on offer. Explanations. How very interesting. The miracles of Christ were so numerous and so mighty and so suddenly performed and so total in the recovery they gave to people, so total that a handicapped, deeply handicapped person was not only healed, but limbs that had been withered and dead for years, you might say. Life surged into them and normality returned. These were the mightiest of miracles performed at a word or at a touch. And there were so many of them that everybody knew someone who had been remarkably healed. And people would take their family members who were sick and he would heal hundreds and hundreds in villages and towns across Galilee just at a word and then single individual cases out. There had to be an explanation. You couldn't just dismiss this. Even Christ's greatest enemies, the chief priests and the scribes and the, and the Pharisees, who used their station and their dignity to push to the front of the crowd wherever he was and witnessed firsthand these miracles, they had to give an explanation. You notice that nobody ever denied the miracles of Christ. Even his greatest enemies said, it is demonic. It is by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, that he does these things. 
the explanation may have been insulting and outrageous and outlandish, but they couldn't just dismiss them. There is only one set of people in the history of the world that actually dismiss the miracles of Christ, and that is atheists. Atheists don't need an explanation. Now, we know they were modern atheists weren't there, but nevertheless, they don't need an explanation. The people at the time who didn't want to accept that Christ was Messiah had to think of some good explanation for the miracles. No one denied them. Only atheists deny things. Because atheism, though it likes to say, we are the people of reason, they are the people who put their head in the sand, in the earth. And if they don't agree with something and they can't answer it, whether it's something in biological science which collapses the whole theory of evolution or whatever it is, they simply ignore it and bury their reason. But that's by the way. Everybody here had to have an explanation whether they were for Christ or whether they were against him. And the explanation that John, that uh, Herod Antipas selected was that John the Baptist was risen from the dead. Verse 16, when Herod heard thereof, he said, and you have to say this in the right way, and in the Greek, all the emphasis is on the I. It is John, whom I beheaded. Herod's conscience roared and shouted and troubled him deeply. It is John, whom I beheaded. And so concerned was Herod Antipas that he didn't care who heard him say it. He said it in front of the courtiers. He said it in front of the officers of state. The regional ruler, courtesy King Herod, was convicted of sin. He is risen from the dead. And in verse 14, therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. John never did a miracle. John the Baptist did not do one miracle. He was a, a mighty prophet, but no miracles. But now, thinks Herod Antipas, he's risen from the dead. He's demonstrating so with miracles. I, I must be on the list for vengeance. I have to pay. Herod, partly religious, partly just superstitious, a very cunning man, like father, like son. Herod the Great was cruel and cunning. He was the one who gave the order for all the babies to be executed because he feared the birth of Christ, the Messiah. Like father, like son, Antipas was also very cruel and very cunning. 
but now he's shaken to the core because he thinks the one he murdered has been put to death. But let's look on at the narrative. This is the beginning. Even natural conviction can be very deep and shaking. A person can be shaken. What have I done? And yet it may go nowhere. Verse 17, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John. That's an expression which means he was violently arrested. Why violently arrested? John was a preacher. John never stole anything, John the Baptist. He never murdered anybody, attacked anybody, robbed anyone. He was a man of holiness and purity, but he was a mighty preacher. He lived as a poor man. People thought he was Elijah, resurrected. That was his image. And yet he had to be arrested with great violence. And he was put in Herod's palace fortress at Machara, which is a formidable place with a desperately terrible dungeon with no illumination. And John was kept there, John the Baptist, and treated despicably. He laid hold upon John and bound him, tied him, as though he was going to be violent, in prison, his own dungeon. Why? For the sake of Herodias, his so-called wife. Well, Herod Antipas, his brother, Philip, another ruler, had a beautiful wife. And Herod Antipas lusted after her and wanted her. And so he disposed of his own wife and sent her home to her father, who was another ruler, a king. And he, Herodias and Philip were separated and Herod Antipas married Herodias. And Herod, who was rather fascinated by John, said, I want to hear him. And he sent for him. And John, when he met him, denounced his adulterous marriage. It wasn't just adulterous. It was also incestuous, because all these people were related to each other. It was a most diabolical affair. And John condemned it. And Herod didn't like that at all. But Herodias, his so-called wife, was incensed. And she hated John the Baptist with all her being. And she wanted his life. Verse 18 For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him. Well, that's putting it mildly. The Greek says something like a grudge. And would have killed him. Not herself, obviously, but tried to get Herod to kill him. But she could not. He wouldn't do it. Why not? Verse 20. For Herod feared John, 
let's say he stood in awe of him, knowing that he was a just man. He knew there was no fault in John. John the Baptist was a holy man and righteous and observed him. That's a curious word. The Greek is he kept him. That's much clearer. He observed him. I think in the days of the King James translators, the word observed could be used to mean kept. And it doesn't now. But that's the word, he kept him. In other words, he protected him. He kept his life. To placate Herodias, he had him dreadfully treated, but he didn't have him executed. So he kept him. And when he heard him, listen to this, he did many things. Herod Antipas mended some of his ways. He responded to the preaching of John and heard him gladly. What a mix-up. Herod Antipas Cunning and cruel. But he felt that the words of John were wise and true. And this mysterious walking with God and salvation, this made sense. And the need for forgiveness even. And the need to get rid of the burden of conscience and the things I've done. And he stood in awe of John, and he couldn't take his life. Natural convictions. Have you ever had natural convictions? Have you ever felt badly about your life? Have you ever felt wistfully, if only you could be forgiven, if it were possible to walk with God and be sure of eternal life? It may be only natural convictions. It may go nowhere. You may one day throw it aside. Herod did. Or it may be the beginning of something wonderful. Really seeking after Christ and yielding to him and asking his forgiveness and asking for new life. What is it, friends? Natural convictions only? Or will it turn out to be much deeper and much better? Herod stood in awe of John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him. And when he had heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. But now things change. Now you're going to read about how natural convictions collapsed. Verse 21. And when a convenient day was come, again, perhaps I can adjust a little the translation to help. It's perfectly good as it stands. But the Greek says, when a good day had come. The modern translations perhaps are a little better on this. When a day of opportunity came. 
A good day. A good day for what? A good day for Satan. A good day to flush out of the mind of John any notion of God, of Herod Antipas, to take it out of his mind, any notion of God, any movement of conscience, and capture him back into the pathway of sin and self-love. When a good day was come, good day for Satan, a good day for Herodias, a day of opportunity for her to get back at John and to have him eradicated and his censure of her conduct and her adultery and her incest with Herod Antipas. When a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday, this was going to be the day of opportunity, made a supper to his lords, his officers of state, his high captains, his generals, and his chief estates of Galilee, the wealthiest men. But they're all men. That's the culture. Every one of them is a man. This is going to be an all-male banquet. And it was the opportunity for Herodias. She was going to create a great symphony of seduction to capture the heart and the mind of Herod Antipas entirely to her will. Verse 22, And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in, the Jewish historian Josephus, who was born just a few years after this event, in his history of this period, writes of Herod Antipas and this very event, and he tells us that the girl's name was Salome, which means peace, tranquility. Well, if ever a name was inappropriate, it was that. Salome, she would have been about 15 at the time. And there was music, very rhythmic, to capture the mind, to put everybody in a hypnotic trance. They could do that in those days just as well as the pop bands can do it today. Take your mind, get your body tingling, the great rhythm drug, hammering in relentless and attractive at the time rhythms into your brain, altering your state of consciousness, making you susceptible and open, almost as effective as the alcohol you'll be drinking at the same time so that sin can more easily work. That's the whole idea. Isn't it madness that some churches even adopt those very seductive and demanding, commanding, hypnotic, trance-inducing rhythms and chords into the worship of God? 
He had never heard of anything more fantastic, outrageous, and profane. Shocking. Don't listen to a preacher who countenances that. Anyway, they could do it years ago. And that was the whole atmosphere. A banquet like you've never seen. The wealth on the table in terms of gold tableware. The archaeologists have unearthed much of it from this very area. Things of such beauty and expense. Everything to dazzle the senses and to capture the emotions. Orchestrated by Herodias, the expert. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod, I'm sorry to have to say it, but he lusted after her. Bodily exposure and exhibition. Some people even want to see it done in weddings, if you please. Christian weddings. Unbelievable. Pleased Herod and them that sat with him, that all-male lusting group. The king, half drunk, no doubt, said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he swear unto her with an oath, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee, unto the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. A good day for Satan a good day for Herodias. The girl seems to have had no sensitivity whatsoever. She went in immediately and demanded the head of John the Baptist on a plate, on a tray. She demanded that which was done by and by, which translates uh, the Greek meaning immediately. No hesitation. Why must it be done immediately? Well, sin takes its opportunity. When the king was sober, perhaps he would think twice about his oath. Perhaps he'd be prepared to humble himself and say, I played the fool, I'm not going to do that. Perhaps when there wasn't all the seduction in the surroundings and the rhythm and the clamor, and all his lords and people who he had to look big in front of. Perhaps the moment would have died. So it had to be done at once. She came in straightway. I will that thou give me by and by straight away in a charge of the head of John the Baptist. The king's last chance. Conscience suddenly speaks again. Verse 26, and the king was exceeding sorry. He was torn in two. He was so deeply troubled. Yet for his oath's sake, scared of losing face, on account of those which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the executioner is sent 
commanded his head to be brought. And verse 28, John the Baptist's head was brought on this tray or plate and given to the 15-year-old girl and she gave it to her mother to gloat over. What a woman. Freshly executed. To gloat over. Dear friends, like mother, like daughter, like father, like son, Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, Herodias, Salome. I can remember many years ago, there was a church outing. I think I'm going back beyond memory's arm for most assembled here. And it was out in the country place with beautiful surroundings and something happened. There was a great crowd of tabernacle people and a young woman in early 20s was offended by something, by someone. I've forgotten what the cause might have been. Something not very great. And in public, she lost her temper so loudly, put on such an exhibition, completely and utterly lost control of herself and behaved like a mad woman, a crazy woman, terrible. I felt so sorry for her. How will she ever get over this? She wanted to hide her head in shame. Actually, that never happened. And then afterwards, we found that her mum was just the same. Surprise, surprise. Learned behaviour. Like mother, like daughter. I'm sorry about the examples. How do we live, dear friends? Do you love your children? Do you really love your children? then the best way to show that love is how you behave at home. How much self-control you have and kindness and gentleness. Children are children. Sometimes you've got to be very, very firm in the wisest way you can be. But you're never spiteful, unpleasant, Lose your temper, angry, because you've always got in mind, and this is only one among many lessons, like parent, like child. That's how it so often is. If you love your children, you want to win them. You want to train them by your own example and your own behavior. I'm not saying anything that you don't know only too well, but we see it here, so I have to mention it, dear friends. She gave it to her mother. The last throw of conscience. Herod Antipas, he ruled for some years in that region after this, not long, 
But uh, the father of his true wife, who was sent home, brought an army against him and disciplined him very sorely. He didn't bring him down. The, uh, this was part of the Roman Empire. You can't bring down a ruler who Caesar has appointed. But he humiliated him and stripped him of his army and a good deal else beside. Notwithstanding Herod Antipas, because of Herodias, she was such a proud woman, she said to him one day, I want you to go to Rome, we'll both go to Rome, because another relation of yours has been given high honours, and you should have those honours too. Let's go and claim our high honours. And browbeaten by Herodias, though no doubt he wanted them too, Herod Antipas made a mission to Rome to appeal to Caesar for greater honours. And many of his enemies, who he'd wronged in life, took that as their good day. And they sent lawyers to Rome to tell Caesar whether they were true or false, I know not, of all the intrigues that Herod Antipas had allegedly been involved in against Caesar. And as Herod Antipas with Herodias went to claim his honours, so Caesar received and believed all the charges against him. And he was humiliated, stripped of his authority, and banished into exile, where he ultimately died in misery. But he faced a far greater judgment when he would stand before God the murderer of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the last minister of the Old Testament, died as a martyr. John the Baptist, the first minister of the New Testament, died a martyr. Never forget, preachers and the message of Christ And God's witnesses, that's all of us, are not accepted by all people. And even in high places, and I could tell you of a number of people in my long, long time in ministry, I've heard of or known of, in high places, who at some time in their lives have been affected by the gospel, and they've had natural convictions And they've said so when they were concerned about life and eternity and they were convicted about their sin and then they left it all behind. You find this all reflected here. When we preach, we make enemies. There are people who are hostile. It's always the case. It's called the offense of the cross. Here is the message of God, salvation, forgiveness, eternal life. And the human heart naturally resents it. You can't tell me I'm a sinner. You can't tell me I deserve eternal condemnation. You can't tell me these things. And they repudiate it. And us, so it will always be to the end of time.
It was for Christ. It was for John the Baptist. It was for the apostles. And so it is in all time. There is the offense of the cross. But we're talking this morning about natural and spiritual convictions. May God work in every heart so that the conviction that you have about your need of salvation and your need of forgiveness is real and deep and you respond to it. A conviction not responded to is a conviction that dies. A desire for Christ that isn't pursued with repentance and faith in him and yielding the life to him is a desire that fades away. Dear friend, don't let convictions fade away. Never delay with God if you're convicted of your need and you see what Christ has done and what this message is. Come with all your heart and come as soon as you can lest Satan should have a good day and seize his opportunity and tear you away.